How are we all doing this morning? I want to make a quick announcement about next week. We didn't get a slide up for this, so I'm just sharing it from my heart. Now, next week, September 26th, after uh, the service, we're going to have a meeting for parents, uh, anyone interested in helping us kick off a youth group, youth ministry, we're establishing it. We have such a family-centric church that I feel like we can really gather together and coalesce around it because our children are so important, and we're just at a time to do that. We're also going to be looking at reestablishing some B groups, some small groups that we've ran, and uh, that's going to take place here as we enter later in the fall into the first of the year getting kicked off. We've also prayed on Wednesday nights for, you know, many, many years. And that's, a, that's part of our DNA. I believe that prayer is one of the reasons why God has blessed so much of what we've been able to do, and I'm grateful for that. First uh, Corinthians chapter 1, and I'm beginning a series which I've entitled Calling Card. And this is like one of my favorite topics, and it's actually one I haven't spent much time teaching on. And it has to do with the call of God. Because I believe that in this hour, in the moment that we're in, God is calling his people. And today, the Bible says, if you'll hear his voice, he he wants to use you and he wants to call you for great purposes. Now, I want to read starting in verse 26. I want to read down to verse 29 and then we're going to pray. Let's read in verse 26. He said, for you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty, and the base things of the world which are despised, God has chosen, and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Let's pray. Lord, this morning, I just thank you for the word of the Lord in my mouth. I pray it would be fruitful. I pray, Lord, that you would stir up our hearts and minds to receive the word of the Lord this morning. I I just pray, Lord, for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to flow. And I pray, Lord, that people would be receptive to see what you have for us. God, stretch us in what you've called us to do. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen Amen and amen. Now, my mom will tell the story better than I do. But I remember being about four years old, and we were leaving church one Sunday morning. And I was in the back of our old... 1980 Buick station wagon. How many of you remember Buick station wagons from the 80s, the ones with the V8? Now, I remember this one because it smelled like milk. She'd smelled, spilled milk in there, and to this day, when I think of that car, that, that smell gets in my nose, and I almost want to throw up. <laughs> I, I just remember that, like, I said to mom, hey, what does that guy do in the front of the church? And she said, well, that, that's the pastor, and he tells people about the word of the Lord, he teaches from the Bible. And I told mom when I was four, when I grow up, I am going to do that. Now, I did that. You know, my mom said to me, my mom said, you know, that, that's an amazing thing because I would pray, God, if you will give me a son, I will give him back to you. And she prayed that, you know, that her children would love the Lord and be in the ministry. And, and that's where I'm at today. Now, I've done that with my kids. Man, we were in the NICU with my son Titus. You remember that? And it was like he was, he was in serious trouble. Nurses were scrambling. They were running all over to get the, all the stations and the monitors fixed right when he was at, right after his surgery. And, and it was like, man, I prayed, Lord, he's your child. If you, if you keep him alive, you can have him. And I prayed that over all my children. Abigail's like that too. You know, we said in this meeting, Elizabeth was testifying that we had that my baby Abigail, her eyes were uh, swollen. They had some problems in them. It was quite serious. 
And I, I, we just prayed. I really wasn't too worried because I knew God had called her. And I just said, Lord, if you called her, you're going to take care of it. And sure enough, because God is faithful and because the word of God is powerful and effective, and my, my baby girls, everything got smoothed out, man. That was a blessing. It was a powerful time we had in the house of the Lord. And I was asking God, what do you want me to teach on? What do you, what's in your heart after meetings like that? And I felt like the Lord put it on my heart to talk about the call of God, about what God is calling his people to. And so I'm just going to spend some time doing that. Now, I guess this morning, when the scriptures say, for you see your calling, brethren, one translation says that we should consider your calling. And I want to talk to you about considering the call of God that he's placed upon your life. To consider something means that you think it through and kind of, you know, investigate it, uh, you make wise decisions about it. You think it through carefully before you make a decision, which is not something I always do. Sometimes I get caught up in things, and my MO often is to go ahead and do things and figure out a plan later. That's not really considering it. But he's telling the Corinthians here, you see your calling, brother. You ought to consider it if God is saying something to you, if he's calling you. That word calling is the Greek word klesis, and that is a supernatural summonings. When God whispers his voice and his will to your heart, when you think about the call of God, a lot of times what you'll start thinking about is about, you know, fivefold ministry, a preacher being called to do something, or a missionary going overseas. And, and the call of God is so much more than that. I mean, it's not limited to, you know, just people in ministry. It's not limited to that. It, it can have to do with, you know, letting kids grow up to be doctors and lawyers and such, as one country song said. I mean, God's got any number of things that he calls his people to at various and specific moments in their life. And, you know, God will prompt you. He will enable you. He will grace you. He'll put a burden on you for you to fulfill his will and his purpose in the time that you're here. I mean, I know people who, you know, have a heart for world missions and traveling. I know people who feel called specifically with kids, with youth ministry. They've got a passion for that music ministry and areas of helping out with that. And in today's world, we need people to help out with social media. I mean, there's an unending number of things that God might call people to in churches, in personal lives, and for the future that he has for you. So let's break down the verses here. And I want to highlight for you what to think about when you consider the call of God that he has put on your life. And so much of it is found just in the first few verses of this, this verse, or the first four words of verse 26. Look what he said. He said, for you see your calling, brother. You see your calling, brother. That, that phrase, your, just jumped out at me. And the first thing that I can tell you about the call of God on your life is that it is personal. The call of God is, first of all, a personal thing. It, he, he said, you see your calling, brother. There's something specific about it, something individual about it, something personal. It, it's something that's unique to you, specific to you. It belongs to you. And I think about what Paul said in Acts 22 when he was recounting how God had called him. And in Acts 22, Paul said that there were things that God said Paul was appointed to. I'm going to show you the things that you have been appointed to do. Paul had a specific appointment with destiny, something specifically for him. So the call of God is, first of all, personal to you. It's personal. Now, Paul wrote three-fifths of the New Testament in terms of letters. So the letters that we have, 60% of them are written by Paul. And you know, he wrote 1 Corinthians here. He's writing this letter to them. And, and you think about Paul's life. There's 
specific things that only the Apostle Paul was called to do. Things that nobody else had, had ever done. He was called to take the gospel of grace to the Gentiles. That had never happened in the course of history. And the Jewish people, if you know anything about it, had the idea that they were like the chosen. Like they, 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 it was unclean for them to be around Gentiles. And for somebody, a, of all people, Paul, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, to take the gospel to the Gentiles was like the most extraordinary thing. But God chose him at a specific moment in time a, uh, and placed a unique call upon his life. Listen, it's no accident that you're here today in this world and God has called you with a specific personal thing. He's got something he has that's intended for you. I mean, it's a personal thing. When I think about the call of God and how personal it is to me, I will tell you that it's personal because it gets in your heart. You know it's a real personal thing when it's something that's in your heart. And if it's in your heart, it's automatically going to come out of your life. You can't stop it. If something really is in there and it's a burning desire, you are going to, that thing is going to flow out of your life. You know, when I think about uh, ministry, I mean, it's something he put in my heart from the time when I was a young man. And that just has naturally flowed out of my life. The ministry is in you if you're called to it, and it will come out. But I know people who feel that way about motherhood. Man, I know people who, they just love to have children. They, they, it's like all they've ever wanted to do. And, and I know people, they want to have more kids. And, and it, it's just this desire. It's a burden. It's a, it's a pleasure that God has placed in people's hearts. I know people who feel that way about being in business or, you know, be, being in the medical field. And, and, and I mean, there's any number of things that God will call you to do for his purpose. It just, it's something that resonates in your heart. It, it, it becomes personal. It's personal to you when it's something that is easy for you to do. When there's no, there's, it's not contrived, it just flows naturally out of you. And, you know, I often see this when I, you know, compare myself with other ministers, ministry gifts, friends I have. My friend Ted was in here last week, and the man is an animal. He is a preaching machine. And, and the power of God is just incredible being around that. And so he and I were talking about that, and I had to laugh because, you know, I have a burning desire just to teach the Bible. I told him, man, I get dreams in the middle of the night where God outlines sermons to me straight out of the scriptures, and I can't explain that. It's natural. It's easy. I just will sit down, break open a text, and before I know it, I'm working my way through points, and I don't have to really even struggle at it. It just comes naturally. That is part of the call of God. And what that is, is it's easy. I know people who there's easy things for them to do. Some guys have an easy time staying up and praying for people, and they're energetic. They're filled with revival. You know, uh, I know people who love music, man. My friend Caleb, where is he at? He's probably sitting with a blanket somewhere in the back. He's got no problems playing music, man. It just flows naturally out of him. It's a part of who he is. It's easy for him to do. I think about, you know, my Pastor Daniel and his ability to manage and steward money. It's easy. Listen, stewarding money is not the easiest thing for people, but Daniel has this amazing ability to be super stingy or disciplined. Very disciplined. But I mean, that, that's an easy, it's a grace. It's part of the call that's on his life. It's not hard for him. It's hard for me because I feel like getting cheeseburgers. Come on, somebody. So I, I just think, man, it's really an incredible thing when you see the call of God, the grace of God that works in someone's life. 
You know, the thing about the call of God that is so interesting is you know that it's personal to you when it's something that you're willing to suffer for in order for it to come to pass. I mean, when you're willing to just, you know, suffer through difficult situations and, and you know, you'll grind through it, that, that's the call of God. That's what Paul was faced with. Paul had this call that was on his life. And come hell or high water, he was going to get the message of the gospel to the Gentiles. This was a debated thing. He was criticized, shipwrecked, stoned, beaten. He suffered all kinds of things in order for him to fulfill the will of God. You know what season it is right now? It's football season. One of my favorite seasons of the year. And uh, I did find out that this Christmas they're releasing a movie about a football quarterback named Kurt Warner. Anyone ever heard of Kurt Warner? Remember, he won the Super Bowl. He's in the Hall of Fame. He's MVP quarterback. And if you know anything about his life, he specifically felt called to the ministry of being a quarterback. Yeah, I wish that was the call God put on my life somehow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but if you watch his story, if you've heard about him, I mean, he's, he's like a, uh, a guy working at Walmart in the grocery line somewhere in Iowa, just checking bags. And he ended up playing, you know, in the indoor league. And then he, you know, went to the Packers and he went to, I think it was the Broncos, some other place. And he kept getting cut along the way. And and, and as he persevered, it was almost like a suffering thing. He just couldn't find his place, but he knew what he was called to do. He felt he had a burden and a passion for it. He felt like he had the grace to do it. And you know what? He ended up becoming a Super Bowl MVP. I do remember when they interviewed him. I think this was back in 1999, something like that. Long time ago, 20 years ago. And they said, Kurt, first things first. I thought that was an interesting way to ask the question. What do you think about winning the Super Bowl? And he said, first things first, I'd like to give glory to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I love that. I, me- I remember watching. And it- it's a personal thing. The call of God was personal. Something you're willing to walk through, suffer through. And God has a specific personal call that he's put upon your life. Amen. He's got something that only you have been created. Do you realize there's 7.8 billion people on the planet? Almost 8 billion people. And God has got something specific that he's ordained for you and you alone to do. It's custom made. By the way, I'm still one who believes that America is unique among the nations. And I believe that God has a specific destiny for this nation. And one thing that, you know, just gets me fired up when I look at the culture that we're in and the world around us is I don't believe that that God has forgotten America or has left it by the wayside. I firmly believe with all my heart that God is going to do something great spiritually in our nation. Once again, man, we need the wind of the Spirit to blow in America. I just know he saves his best for last. I know that America has sent out missionaries across the world, and it's time for us to reap the things that we've sown. So while darkness may cover the land, I believe that God has a destiny for this nation. If you believe it, say amen. Amen. Yeah, it's a unique thing. Now, the call of God is personal to you. This is such an interesting verse. I'm still in the first part of verse 26. Let's read it again. He said, for you see your calling. He said, you see your calling. It could be translated as consider. But when I read that word see, let me just tell you about the call of God. It, here's the second thing about it. It's something that has to be revealed to you. So it's a personal thing. But it's also something that requires the breath of God to breathe it to you. That's where it becomes real. When it's considered, that means it's carefully thought through. It's like a revelation where you can see specifically. 
God, what are you calling me to do? This is what Paul wrote in Ephesians. This is a prayer he prayed. And it's something I prayed this morning. I prayed all the time when I preached Ephesians 1, verse 17 and 18. Paul prayed for them to see the hope of their calling. He said that the eyes of your understanding will be enlightened and that you would know the hope of your calling. And there's something about your eyes being enlightened spiritually so that you would see what God has called you to do. There's a hope with that. It's a revelation. It's something that God has to breathe and, and precisely speak to your life. And, you know, this is the way you got saved when you think about it. You know, Isaiah 53, when it's talking about the suffering servant, that's the most graphic detail of the crucifixion in the Bible. Isaiah prophetically saw it years before it happened. But it starts out by saying, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? There's something about a revelation that allowed you to see the, your need for Jesus. You can't explain it. It, it. It's just suddenly your eyes got open to the fact that you are guilty of sin and needed a Savior. And what that is is the Holy Spirit showing you that there's a need in your life. It, it's, it, it's His breath that's releasing and refreshing things. The Spirit of God saving you, the Spirit of God calling you. You know, the secret things and the sacred things are things that belongs to God. Those are things that when he reveals them, it's like you know them down in your heart, down in your spirit. So when he said, you see your calling, brother, what, what he's talking about is how God reveals his call to people. And you can go through the scriptures and you can find so many instances in the Bible of holy men that God spoke to and inspired, and he called them to unique purposes. I and mean, we could go back to Abraham, who the Bible says God called to leave his homeland, to leave his father and his mother, and go to a place that I will show you. You know, I think about Elizabeth doing that. She left her homeland. She moved all the way out here. And listen, you know, you might have just moved here from California. <laughs> and it's like, man, you're just letting the Lord lead you. That's what's happening in America now. People are leaving places, moving to different states. And, and that, that might be something that God has called you to do. Or I think about Moses. You know, God called Moses from the burning bush. He had a great destiny for him, spoke to him in that place. We can think about King David, who was called to be the king while he was back in the pastures taking care of sheep. We could talk about Mary, who was called of the Lord to, to bring forth a baby when she was probably 14 or 15 years old. I mean, we could think about the apostle Peter, who even though he had denied the Lord, and had been a knucklehead, God called him to be one of the forefront leaders in his church. Or we have the Apostle Paul, one of the least likely people that you would ever think could be called to reach Gentiles. And that was the call that God put on his life. Now, this is something that happened to me. You know, when I think about the call of God that he placed upon my life, so I mean, uh, not only as a kid did I get it, but God supernaturally spoke to me in dreams and visions. I mean, I remember I just, you know, had a dream when I was a you know, 19-year-old man, that God was going to call me to the pastorate, bless what we were doing. And it excited me. It got in the depth of my being. If you study church history, you know what you'll find? You'll find that great preachers like Charles Finney, uh, preachers like J Jonathan Edwards from the great re revivals back in the day, they were all young men who heard from God at a young age, and God used them in significant ways. All felt a call when they were young. They'd, they'd sought the Lord for it. And this is something, you know, that I, I've seen and I've experienced in many different ways with people. Uh, I was thinking about when, you know, we were trying to transition worship leaders, and I remember that I was praying about it, and 
I'm sure grateful for our friend Paul Blade. Is Paul in here? Is he in the back screwing around? Where's he at? He might be in the back. You know, I think it's Paul's 49th birthday today. Is that? <laughs> He's not quite 49, but you tell him I said that. But I do remember that the Lord showed me that uh, he was called to do worship in the season that he was here. There was a season for it. It was something supernatural that God spoke in my heart about. It. And, and it really helped me understand like, the call of God and how he places that burden upon people. And I've seen this with people. I've seen God calls people to do things at various moments in time. Now, you might be thinking, man, I, I want to know more fully, what has God put in my heart to do? And that's a question people ask all the time. And I often respond with that verse I read from Ephesians, that you got to pray about it. You're going to have to know what the, seek the Lord, get alone with him, pray that the eyes of your understanding are enlightened, that you know the hope of your call and press into it, lean into it, seek the Lord for that specific purpose and calling. You know, this is what Paul did in Galatians chapter one. It says that he spent three years in Arabia in the wilderness before he went to the apostles. And he said he went there by revelation. In other words, he was praying seeking God about what God had called him to do before he ever started engaging Peter and James and John in Galatians. I mean, he spent time discovering what is the call of God in my life. And if you want to know what it is, my advice is always the same. Get alone with God, seek him, press into him, pray for the eyes of your understanding to be enlightened in what God is saying, what he's doing. If God speaks to you about the call of God, you know what I've discovered about it? Is that he'll give you the authority to then walk it out. There's something significant about that. If he called you and enabled you and gave you grace to do it, he will give you the authority to walk in what he's called you to do. Now, I went to Laurel High School, which is not saying a whole lot. Like, we barely got through there. And I remember my senior year, I had to transfer over to West High. And fortunately, I'd got all my credits done. I only had to go to one class because I tell you what, at West High, they had a Spanish teacher named Mrs. Whalen. Come over there, Mrs. Whalen. Yeah. And she had a reputation for actually being a teacher. Like, I was terrified to have to take Spanish because she would make you learn Spanish. She had the ability and the authority to teach that. That was the call God put on her heart. She could teach it. She could do it well. But if you went to Laurel High School or a slacker like me, you really weren't interested in learning Spanish. The only time I ever regretted not learning Spanish was a trip from L.A. to El Paso one time. I thought I should have paid attention in Spanish class. If God calls you to do something, he will give you the authority that you need. He'll give you the grace. He'll give you the strength. He'll give you what you need to get it done. That's what God does. That, that requires a revelation. You've got to know when you're knower. You're called to do it, and he'll breathe it. He'll speak it. He will give you the ability to work it out. Now we come into the context right here, because I got two points out of the first five words of this verse, verse 26. He said, for you see your calling, brother. You got to understand it's personal. It's got to be revealed to you. And he said this, that not many wise according to the flesh. That means people who aren't always the most educated people. You know, everyone ever heard of David Green? He's the founder of Hobby Lobby. And David Green... Back in, you know, the 1970s was simply a man managing like a dollar store somewhere in Oklahoma. And he got himself a $600 loan to put, you know, frames together for pictures in his garage. And somehow that uneducated man 
became the founder of Hobby Lobby, which is the largest you know, chain store for crafts in America. And he's now a billionaire who donates heavily to Christian people. God didn't call an educated man to do that. He doesn't always use the wisest people, the people that you think are the best, the brightest, and the smartest. He said he doesn't choose wise according to the flesh or, or, or mighty or not many noble. That's influential people. Think about King David called as a shepherd. You know, the Bible says, David wrote it, Psalm 113 that God delights in taking people from ash heaps and dung piles and putting them into positions of authority. I mean, that's what God does. He raises up people you never would have thought, insignificant people. They don't have to come from backgrounds like that, but that's who God uses. And it says in verse 27 that God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. You know, I, uh, my sweet wife Elizabeth sometimes feels... Like, she's a weak vessel. You know, she felt like she wasn't educated. Sometimes she has stuttering problems when she first started talking. And when I watch her exhort, I mean, there's just something natural that flows out of that. That's a grace. That's a calling. And what other people might have thought uh, was weak is really something that God is using in great strength. So Elizabeth gets to be a weak vessel. I get to be the foolish vessel. I mean, I... I say some of the dumbest things. Can you testify? I mean, we get ourselves in trouble. Yeah, and you would think, is God really using that thing? But he does. He uses foolish things. He uses foolish things. He uses weak things. And, and he does that to confound the wise. He says in verse 28, he uses the base things of the world. That, that's, that's things that are insignificant. Stuff that's like low-lying. Hey, you all know who Truett Cathy is? Truett Cathy is the founder of a little restaurant called Chick-fil-A. And he first started with a place called the Dwarf Grill down there in a suburb of Atlanta. You know why they called it the Dwarf Grill? Because it was a small little restaurant. And from that small little restaurant, Truett Cathy ha has made one of the most amazing fast food chains that there is. And, and he's a man who honors God. He came from nowhere. And they put God first. They're like, one well, of the only places closed on Sunday and I'm amazed every time I'm in an airport that the lines for, you know, Chick-fil-A stretch all the way around. I mean, you can't even get into that place. But it's God's blessing because that man is blessing Christian businesses at unprecedented rates. And it's because these are the people that God chooses. Weak, significant, foolish things. People that are overlooked, insignificant. Those are the things that God chooses to bring to nothing the things that are. That's such an interesting thing. Here's the point I want to make about the call of God. God calls unlikely people. He calls people you wouldn't think about. I mean, that is the context. And that is really like what he's writing here to the Corinthian church because I'm telling you the Corinthian church was a foolish, charismatic church. You just read his letters. He's providing them with instruction and correction. He's letting them know how to handle communion. He's letting them know how to handle... Uh, you know, spiritual gifts, because like, he said, I think you guys might be getting a little extreme with him. He's talking about questions about giving and the resurrection, how to handle marriage problems. And, and, and he's just trying to communicate with them. But he's, he's writing to some unlikely people. It was Jesus who, in Matthew 11, said that God will take certain things and he, and he hides them from the prudent, but he reveals them to babes. I mean, it, it's like, he, you know, he, he gives some of the most foolish, insignificant, immature people some of the greatest revelations. And that's because it, it's unique to who he is. 
Why does God do that? Why doesn't he call the best and the brightest to certain things? I mean, that, that's such an interesting thought to me. You'd think that he'd be looking for macho men who look like Fabio or, you know, they've got, you know, amazing attributes, but God doesn't look at those things. He sees what's hidden in secret in people's hearts. Yeah. Why does he do that? I think it's probably because in verse 25, he said, the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. You know, this is something I'm learning on a daily basis. I learn it all the time. That, this is something that, you know, Jacob had to learn. Jacob was a deceiver, and he was a manipulator, and yet God had called him, and he had to learn that God was ultimately the one who was going to bring about his destiny. He couldn't strive for it in the flesh. I think about Moses. God called him. Moses spent 40 years thinking that he was somebody. He was a prince of Egypt. And then he spent the next 40 years realizing that he was a nobody when his plans failed. And then he spent the next 40 years when God raised him up realizing that God is everything. And I'm telling you, there's something so freeing about coming to a place where you, in humility, just embrace what God has called you to do without apologizing, without trying to struggle and strive for it, but you're just walking in what God has asked of you to do. Because when you're humble, what it does is it frees you from the constraints of yourself. And by the way, yourself is the thing standing in the way of your destiny. Because your ego might be tripping up, or you think, I got this, I can handle this. And really what God is looking for is not someone to help him out. He's looking for someone who will cooperate with him. That's really all he needs is cooperation. So you can walk with him. But I, I find it so interesting that people get in the way. I found that the less I strive, the less I worry about things, that's the place where God intervenes. I mean, it's the most interesting thing to do in church. Sometimes you get worried about people, what they're doing, what they're thinking. Are they going to leave? Or, or is the money going to be there? And, and I've found that the less I worry about that and the more I just focus on God's call and his grace and walk with him, the easier it is. I'm just telling you that God calls unlikely people, and I hate to burst it to you, but you are an unlikely person. And that means that you are primed for God to do something significant in your life. Yeah. How many of y'all believe that God will use you. You believe that? Yeah. Yeah. Hands up there. Yeah. He will use you because you're unlikely. Now, let me give you number three. Number four. And I'm, I'm here in verse number 29. He said, God calls foolish, weak, base, unlikely people. And he does it so that no flesh will glory in his presence. And he tells us, I love this verse, that of him you're in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. That, as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. He's quoting from Jeremiah chapter 9 right there. Here's the thought I have for you about this. That the call of God is something that demonstrates his glory. See, it's got to be something that's unique to you. It's something that is revealed. As we said here, he uses foolishness and weak things. And when you realize just how foolish and insignificant you are, this is the place where God is the one who ultimately gets the glory. He's the one, and he, listen, he demands glory for what he does. He, he is the one who gets the glory. I think about Moses. He, he's out there struggling with all his children of Israel in the wilderness, and, and Moses prayed to God, don't let me see my own wretchedness, because he came face to face with his flaws. And that's the place that God stepped in and showed his glory. Think about Isaiah in the year that King Uzziah died. Isaiah 6 and verse 1. I saw the Lord. And when he saw the Lord, it was like 
He said, woe is me, for I'm an undone man. I dwell in the midst of a people with unclean lips. And, and when you realize your weaknesses, that's where God gets his glory. I mean, Peter's a great example of that. Same thing. Peter, you know, he's in trouble. He's got all these problems. He's denying the Lord. And yet God raised him up for his glory and his purpose. That's what God does. Isaiah 42, verse 8, says that God will not share his glory with another. And he certainly won't share it with the flesh. He doesn't need people's egos to accomplish his agenda. He doesn't need the strength of man to do something. He, what he really needs is people who understand that he's the one who gets the glory. I mean, this happens to me sometimes. Sometimes I want a pat on the back for, hey, listen, I preached a good sermon today, or we had a great crowd today. And, and I'm often reminding myself, God is the one who will get the glory for it. That's what he, he's the one who deserves the glory. Think about what this next verse says. Of him you are in Christ Jesus. It almost feels like it's not fitting in the context right there. But he's telling us something significant and spectacular about God. Only Christianity teaches that God can translate you. He can take you from darkness into light. The Bible teaches us that that we can step uh, into a position in Christ, that, that we would be in him. That is a supernatural thing. And what that is is... It's that supernatural aspect of your spirit being recreated. And it says, of him, you're in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God. I like that. If you want to talk about his glory, it's demonstrated through the wisdom of God. Which just simply means you're not as smart as you think you are. Did you know that? You are not uh, the smartest, most capable person. And if you really want to experience the fullness of God's goodness and glory in your life, it's his wisdom that's at work. I think one of the smartest, wisest things I ever did was Mary Elizabeth. You know what happened to me, though, when I got up there in Canada? It was cold, and I got scared. <laughs> I remember I was like, I was getting cold feet. I was thinking, I don't know if I can do this, but you know what? The wisdom of God was there. Something inside my heart got stirred. I'm so glad that I did. That's the wisdom of God at work, because I might have walked away on my own ability. But, I mean, I think about how God has blessed, you know, our church, and I think about his goodness, his goodness, his wisdom. I'm not a good businessman, but God somehow found a way to play this place off. That's his wisdom. Wisdom. Righteousness. That's, that's, you know, your right standing with God so that you can boldly access the throne of his grace. Righteousness is so that you don't have to get caught up with sin. You know how rampant sin is in the world right now? I mean, we are being inundated with, with all kinds of celebrations people having of sin, and it's like celebrated on TVs. I mean, it's around you. The culture is like inundated with it. But righteousness, when you live for God, when you live free of sin, when you live clean, you can boldly be a man of God, and his glory is revealed. Wisdom, righteousness, sanctification. That, his glory is revealed when he cleans you up. Like he's cleansing He's purifying. He's at work in your life. I know you think that your spouse is picking on you. Other people are identifying unflattering things. But probably it is the Holy Spirit at work trimming off some things to help you grow in the grace of God. That reveals his glory. His cleansing work in your life. Man, nothing could cleanse you quite like that. Yeah, wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Which simply means 
that you've been purchased. You've been bought with a price, man. He paid a price for you. And that means that my body's not mine. My life is not mine. I belong to him. I'm fully submitted to him. And when you're submitted to God, it becomes easy to be a vessel for him. That means if he prompts me to give, I'm going to give. It doesn't belong to me. It belongs to him. I'm going to be generous. I'm going to do what he's asked me to do. And that is the place where his glory is at work because he's not going to share his glory. And it is call. He wants you to walk in the glory of God. Now, I remember being, you know, four years old in the back of a station wagon there. And I was just thinking about how from that moment on, my life has kind of been, you know, like that. I've walked that way. And I guess the question I want to ask this morning is what is God calling you to do? What is God calling you to do? What does he put in your heart? I want to pray that for people. You know, I feel led to do something this morning. I want to just have the worship team come back. And I, I, I want to just, I, I, here's the thing. I guess I feel the spirit of the Lord still on me. And in my wife was telling me, she said, man, I feel the anointing moving in your life, you know, from the meetings we're in. I feel like there's people in the room that don't know with specificity what they're called to do, or it's a frustration. It's something that you're like, man, I want to know with more clarity. I want to be used by God in a greater way. And I felt like it's it just worshiping the Lord. And I'd like to, I guess, get some people. I mean, if, if you want prayer for that, I want to pray for you. It, it, I want to just line up some altars and pray for people who might feel that way. You know, uh, it's something really stirring in my spirit. Because I think people sometimes get lost in it. It's got to be something that God reveals to you. It's got to be something that's personal to you. It's got to be something that, you know, you can acknowledge, you can see it in your life. And I just want to ask the question, you know, what is really in your heart? What's an easy thing for you to do? What's easy? What's easy? And as we're here just waiting on the Lord, uh, something interesting happened to me uh, last night as I was praying about this. I was praying. And Nathan, would you stand up back there? The tall guy. Yeah, you. I felt like when I was praying for you, you have a real heart for the Lord. And I felt like that you maybe feel frustrated because you want to be used by God in greater ways. There's more that you want to do for him. And you're seeking and searching for the things he's put in your heart. I mean, he's put some real deep things in your heart. And, you know, I, I've just, in hearing your family talk about it, I can see, I can sense there's more things that God is going to call you to and require from you. And if you would, I want to just reach a hand. I want to pray over this man. Father, in the name of Jesus, over this man we pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. I just thank you for your heart. Lord, I thank you for this man fulfilling the call of God. Nathan, I feel like that God's got great, great destinies ahead of you. He's got eternal things that he's laid up in heaven for you, things only you've been called to do. And if you lean into him and press into him, he's going to show himself strong and reveal himself on your behalf. I feel like God's got much, much more busy things to keep you preoccupied with. For the Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Will you, will you sing a little bit? Can you, can you get something kicked off? If you need prayer and you want to know, God, I want to know what you are calling me to do. I want to pray for you. I feel my spirit. I don't care if it's for one person. You just stand up with us today. If you want to say, Lord, I, I just, there's something in my heart. I feel like God's got a deeper thing for me. Something more. There's got to be something more. There's a purpose, a deeper purpose. There's something significant. I, I want to pray for you. That's what I feel led to do this morning. I want to pray for the eyes of your understanding and be enlightened. And if you won't come down, I might have to come to you. Man, you want to come down? I want to have you, but I feel the Lord on me. This is if you feel prompted in your spirit. And if, if you got to go, man, we love you. We'll catch you later.